just by way of review, we, we spoke on how Jesus was separated at the cross from his father, and he experienced this eternal state of, of separation and isolation. And because Jesus dying on the cross was an eternal event, when Jesus was separated from his father for those three hours, he wasn't just saying, if I can just make it through these three hours, I'm going to be okay. He was experiencing an eternal state of separation from, from his father. This was, wor- this was a worse experience for him to experience that than any person would ever experience in an eternity of hell. This was the, it was not only, Jesus, when Jesus was dying, he wasn't saying, my hands, my hands, my feet, my feet, my head, my head. He was saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Suffering for Jesus was not physical, nor was it an emotional, although that was happening. Suffering for Jesus Christ, our Savior, was that he was separated from his Father. And that was an eternal experience so that we would never, ever have to experience that separation from God. And when Isaiah 45, verse 3, talks about treasures hidden in darkness, these are these treasures that when we are in darkness, and by the way, you know, from Thanksgiving to Christmas, believe me, for a lot of people, it's a very dark time. Even though it's a time of festivity and holiday, cheer, everybody's supposed to be happy, Many, many people struggle with depression and darkness during this time. So Jesus was in the midst of that darkness so that we would never, ever have to experience that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this service this morning. We thank you for the people of God in this room. Father, we just thank you for the worship time with Neil and Tamara. Lord, we thank you, God, for each person that is partaking here. Those on Facebook, Lord, we really pray, God, for just a blessing during this message, Lord, that we would walk away from this service and say, I met Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The gospel is this. And I want to, every, every time we speak these six weeks, I want to define the gospel. And I want to define it this way, that the gospel says this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. Yet, at the same time, we are more righteous, loved, and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared to hope because of the blood and the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's, that's a beautiful paradox, isn't it? But we are worse than we think we are. We have a certain knowledge of how bad we are by experience, and maybe even by imagination, things that we haven't done we've imagined, but yet we are worse than that. And we are so bad, and I don't want to discourage us with this, and I'm not going to park on this, but we, that we are so fallen that if it was revealed to us how fallen we were, we would just crumble. You know, when we, this is Teen Sunday, and when we think about young people and te- teens and youth, uh, sometimes we experience badness and we experience the horribleness of what's inside of us. And we're really shocked, and maybe parents are shocked and people are shocked. But you know what the truth is, is that we are more sinful than that. Yet, at the same time, and this is the gospel, we are more righteous. If we believed on Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, and I know in the teen class, Kim has said this many times, she's always directing people to the salvation message and to the finished work. 
if we have received Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and believed on him by faith and made a decision by faith in our, in our volitional will to believe on him as our personal Savior, then we are righteous. We are just as righteous as Jesus Christ. That's really hard to imagine. That, just, to he, just to say that, there's a part of me that kind of cringes a little bit, like, what? I, really? I'm as righteous as Jesus Christ? I mean, was Jesus a righteous man? Yes, he was. And we are just as righteous as he. As a matter of fact, not only are we just as righteous as Jesus Christ, we are in, the, we are in Christ, and Christ is in God, and God is a trinity. We are actually adopted into the trinity family. Isn't that amazing? So today when we talk about problems in school or with our grades or with our friends, friends or when we uh, have issues with sports or disappointments, I am not in that problem. I am not in trouble. I am not in fear. I'm not in depression. I'm not in, in whatever we may be experiencing. I'm in, in, I'm in Christ first. Amen. I'm in Christ. And nothing, nothing in John chapter 10 verse 28 can take us out of the hand of God. No man I love that the word man is in there because it means that not even ourselves can take us out of the hand of God. And that's another thing that makes us cringe a little bit like, how can you say that? Well, that's the gospel. We want to talk about that at another time more. But as Oliver read this morning, we see the story here of a Syrophoenician woman. And as I was just praying this week, thinking about different aspects of the gospels, we go from the crucifixion passion of last week, and we march backwards through the life of Christ into his birth on Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve Sunday, thinking about this Syrophoenician woman. And as I was digesting this this week and thinking about this, thinking about this woman, let me tell you a little bit about this woman. What is a Syrophoenician? It's a big word. I can hardly even say it. What is a Syrophoenician woman? Basically, <clears throat> she was a Canaanite woman. And let's just start here in verse 21 of Matthew 15. Ready? And Jesus went away, Matthew 15, verse 21, and Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. What is happening here? Matthew 15 comes after Matthew 14. The first few verses of Matthew 15 and the verses of uh, what we read in Matthew 14 show us, starting actually in Matthew 12, we see that Jesus is not being accepted by the Jews. Uh, he is being criticized. He is being analyzed. And, and in Matthew chapter 12, he's actually starting to talk about widening his ministry to the Gentiles. He is starting to understand that his, he came to his own in John chapter 1, verse 10, and his own are not receiving him. And this is what's happening. So Jesus decides to go away with his disciples. He's going to go on a getaway. He's going to go on a retreat. He's going to go on a little vacation with his disciples. But we know that wherever Jesus goes geographically, there's a plan involved, correct? And where is Tyre and Sidon? Tyre and Sidon is actually two cities that are in southern Lebanon. If you look at the map today of Lebanon, and you go down to the bottom of Lebanon, down near the, the, the Mediterranean Sea, you're going to see a city called Tyre, T-Y-R-E. Tyre is historically a very significant place because for those that know some Greek mythology, this is where Europa was born. And I want to talk about that today, but that historically it has so much meaning there and what Tyre was. This area, Tyre and Sidon, that Jesus decides to take his disciples on vacation to is all pagan. And there's no, there's like no, there's no, it's not Jewish territory. 
He is actually marching into a territory that is actually hostile to Jews. And this whole story is very dramatic. And when you read this and you read the story in the original Greek, it's very, there's a lot of drama here. There's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, moments where you're just like, wow, this is unbelievable. This is so dramatic. And so Jesus has decides to take his disciples to a very dangerous place, to a place that's not welcoming. And he's just going there. And he's going there not for a vacation necessarily, but he's going there that his disciples would learn something. And as they are there, uh, verse 22, And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out. And notice the word behold. You know, in every, in when we read scripture, just take note of every word, because every word of scripture is inspired, and it's very important. When Jesus, when, when the writer here, Matthew, writes behold, he's saying, look, and another way, another, another way he could say it is this, and, and guess what happened next? And can you believe it? This Canaanite woman came. Who was a Canaanite woman? The Syrophoenician woman in the King James. Canaanite, the Canaanites were the, in the original inhabitants of the land of Palestine when Moses, when Moses and then Joshua came into the promised land. Moses didn't come into the promised land, but Joshua did. And as they come into the promised land, they're taking these, these, uh, these cities and they're conquering these peoples that were descendants in Genesis chapter 10 of this Canaanite. And these Canaanite people were very hostile to Jews. They did not like Jews. Jews, they felt like Jews. And it's the same thing today that they were, uh, they were people that felt that the Jews had invaded their land and it wasn't their land. Although it was their land, God had given it to Abraham. And so these Canaanites were very, they, they had issues, and Jews had issues with Canaanites. Canaanites were Gentiles. And so the writer of Matthew, him being, Matthew being a, a Jew, a Jew, Jew, very Jewish, says this, and guess what happened? Can you believe it? A Canaanite woman just shows up, comes to them. And it says that she came out of where she was from. She leaves her town. She leaves her village. She leaves her region. She is on purpose leaving her area, and she's going to meet Jesus and the disciples. And she, in verse 22, was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. This verse is so packed with just some amazing things. What is she saying? She's crying out to the disciples. We're going to look at this word cry in a few minutes, how dramatic this cry was. This was not just say, Jesus, can you help me? She is screaming out. She's crying out with this desperation. And she comes to, the, to, to Jesus and he says, she says, have mercy on me. This is the first thing that she says, have mercy on me. What's mercy? Mercy is different than grace because we know that grace is given to us it's something that we could never deserve or never qualify or never even approach the question of getting something from God. Grace is the, is the unasked for, the unexpected, the unbelievable, the supernatural grace of God in our life. Mercy is different. Mercy means I'm not getting what I deserve. <laughs> I deserve something, but I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it. This is the mercy and the merciful kindness of, of, of God. I'm not getting what I deserve. And so this woman comes to Jesus and says, oh, have mercy on me. She's crying out. She's, she's in this state of just unbelievable turmoil inside. She's saying, have mercy on me. She's stating that I'm in a situation that I probably am somewhat responsible for as a mother. Think of that. Think of this situation. Her daughter is, is being oppressed by a demon. 
And she in some way, and she's saying, have mercy on me. And she's taking, she's taking ownership of the situation that her daughter was in. Have mercy on me. She was so identified with what was happening in her daughter's life. And you know what daughters here? How many, how many girls here are, are daughters? Of course, every, <laughs> of course, that's a question that we all know the answer to. You know something? When you're in trouble, your mom is, your mom is suffering too. I just want to say that. Any parent is. When, when, if you're a daughter or a child, when you're struggling inside, your parents are too. They're feeling it. You may not think it, they, they, and parents may not be able to tell you, because somehow from the age of teen to adulthood, we lose as an adult our capacity to make sense and speak what we're feeling sometimes. But when you go through things, your parents feel it, and they're struggling, and they feel it. And when you're down, when you're hurting, they feel it, and they're down, and they're hurting too. And they may not show it, but here this woman is saying, have mercy on me, because I'm, I'm having so much... I'm having so much pain with the, with the situation that my daughter is in. Have mercy on me because I'm in some way responsible for this. And then she says a second thing. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Remember a Canaanite. She is a different nationality, a different race, a, a race that's an enemy to God and an enemy to the Jewish people. And she says, oh, Lord. This is not just, you know, like someone saying Mr. or Sir. This is, like some commentators say, I believe that when she said, oh, Lord, she was, she was calling him Lord, that she was believing in him, that, there, that she understood that Jesus is not just Lord, but he, is, he has power over all demons and over all circumstances and over every situation, and that, that Jesus here is the Lord over all gods. And then she says, son of David. And this is the point I want to park in in our message this morning. Son of David. Son of David. Son of David. She used a title that means a lot here. Lots of commentaries are going to tell you that she uses this because she recognized that, she, that, that Jesus was the rightful heir to the throne of David to be king over Israel during the millennium. But I would say something more. I would say that there's something more here in the meaning. I would say that son of David meant this, basically, that you are the son, the part of a genealogy of a man, that he too needed mercy and grace. The kind of mercy that I'm crying out for. Is Jesus, was Jesus a sinner? No. But he was a descendant. He was, he was human. And he was in every way human. And he was the descendant of a king, of a man, David, that needed so much grace and so much mercy in his life. Isn't that amazing? And the book of Matthew and in genealogy, if you like genealogy and you read Matthew chapter 1... And you read through the genealogy of what's going on there. I don't know if people would really want, as a Jew, who are really trying to prop up a message for the support of believing in Christ, to really be talking about what his genealogy was from. Because you read that genealogy and it's a bit scandalous. It's just some pretty questionable people in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Prostitutes, robbers, bad people, publicans and sinners are part of the genealogy of Christ. That's crazy, isn't it? That's unbelievable. And that's just so beautiful for me to see. And Jesus is saying, have mer-, and she's saying to Jesus, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. And she's, she's crying out to a characteristic of David in David's life that she knew that, David, that, that Jesus understood, that Jesus was a part of. And so when she did that, 
look at the response. Look at the response by Jesus. And I want us to, as we're reading this, the woman basically says four things to Jesus, and Jesus gives her four responses. Three of those responses were pushbacks. Maybe you're here as a teenager today, or maybe a young person or whoever in this room, and you can find yourself in these situations. And this look like, look, let's look at this very unique situation. Jesus, it says in that verse, and by the way, I just want to say something about being oppressed by a demon. This is not demon possession here. If you look at the Greek, it's basically very clearly stating that it was a single demon that was oppressing her daughter in a very bad way. The Greek word there is kakos, which means intrinsically bad. It means that her daughter was in a situation because of a single demon. In Canaanite religion, which is no different than today's religions, by the way, the way we worship in the Western world, in some way, we don't know how this happened, and, and we can only vaguely speculate but in some way, and the husband here is not in the, in, the, in the picture, it's just a mom, maybe she's a single mom, or a situation. Her daughter had become under the influence of the, of the pressure, not possession, but pressure of, by one demon, meaning that she had recognized or maybe previously worshipped one demon. Today, we're not on the street or bowing down in front of these ugly, gross, grotesque-looking gods that we can see, like in India. But we are worshiping in another way. We are, we are worshiping items, objects, and demons hide behind these objects. You know, in Africa, demons are right out in the front. You can see them, and they, they function outwardly because there's no material things to hide behind. But here, this demon here is influencing the daughter because her, she as a mother in some way let something into her household that gave a demon a place of authority in Ephesians 4, verse 27. Sometimes we, we, we experience oppression and pressure. And it's not just the weather, and it's not just circumstances, but sometimes it's just spiritual pressure. And that's because in some cases, not always, but in some cases it could be is that I brought something into my soul or into my household that was really a place for the devil. Or it could be just warfare. You could be stepping out in your calling. You could be moving forward as a teenager and saying, you know what? And this is what I did when I was 17. I made a decision for Christ and said, you know, I'm going to be a disciple. I was already saved, but I said, I want to be a disciple. So when I was 17, I said, okay, I'm going to enter into discipleship. I don't know what that means, but I want to be a disciple of grace. I want to be a disciple and just be changed, a disciple of who I am as a new creation. And when I did that, I noticed all these weird, very different, very crazy attacks in my life. And someone told me, my, my youth leader told me, he said, he says, you're obeying God in your life. And the devil's pushing back. Whether, either way, whatever the oppression is, the answer here, we find the answer here. And so he doesn't answer her a word. And this is unbelievable. He doesn't, you know what this is? This is demeaning silence. Do you ever have someone give you the silent treatment? That, that's, they say that that is the worst form of communication. It's worse than someone yelling at you. They say that it does more damage to your soul and to your psyche and to your self-image than if somebody was yelling at you and calling you names. Silence. <laughs> Silence. Imagine that. You ever have that happen to you? Silence. We have that happens a lot. And it was very demeaning. It, it could be interpreted in a very demeaning way. Here's, and she's a woman. 
And I can see just, the, I can immediately see them. If Jesus was alive today and the media was, you know, he was being filmed and they saw this going on, they would say, oh, he's an abuser. He's a, he, he's a, he demeans women. But does, but let me ask you a question. And each, each one of these, each one of these things that the woman says and Jesus' response, I want to ask you a question. Let me ask you this question. Does Jesus not hear the woman? Does Jesus not hear the woman? Let me ask you guys that. You don't have to answer that. Does he hear the woman? Okay. He hears, and she knew that. And that was the grace anchor for her faith in her request. I'm going to say that statement a few times during the message this morning. She knew that. He heard. And that was for her a grace anchor for her faith in her request. She knew that she was hearing him. She knew that she was hearing her. And that was for her an anchor in the situation. Verse 23, And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. So here's the scene. This is the way I picture it, and I don't know if this is correct, but when we get to heaven and we get to play back all of the videos from during the times of Jesus, we're going to actually really see what it was. I know there are cable TV shows out there that try to depict it, and a lot of times they get it wrong because it's Hollywood. Many times they do, it, they do a great job. But here's the scene. Here's this Canaanite woman, and I know the movies, they portray uh, you know, a, a, a good-looking woman that has dark hair, maybe dark eyes, you know, olive skin, dressed nicely, and she's kind of reaching out to you. This is probably not what was going, what was going on. She was actually being extremely annoying, and she was a Canaanite. Now, I don't know if you, for those that have been to Europe or not necessarily Europe, but maybe you've experienced it here. My wife and I were in Europe this summer. And Europe is like, it's just pretty fancy and elegant and it's really nice and everybody like nice stuff there. And, you know, these cafes and people are walking around in their niceness and their fanciness and their elegance. And, and, but there's, in every culture, God always brings in this nuance that requires the cross and the gospel. So my wife and I, were, we were there for, you know, we were, the, we were gone for that period this summer. We were sitting there eating. It was part of our anniversary getaway, 25 years. We're sitting at a nice, nice place, outdoor cafe. We're eating. And it was kind of a nice place. We were getting nice food. And it wasn't that expensive because it was Eastern Europe. And this little girl comes up to us, and she's a, she's a gypsy. She's just really dirty, just untaken un, un, un care of her hair. was a mess, and she just looked poor, just ragged shoes. And before she came up to us, she was going from table to table to table asking, you know, for food. And she came to us, and I could see the look, I could see the look on, these, on these people's faces, like awkwardness. You know, these Europeans with their nice clothes and their fancy outfits and fancy everything. And then there's just this disheveled, poor broken little girl comes up to them and just and just puts her hand out. She's not even talking. And, oh, my gosh, it was so awkward for these guys. These guys were so awkward, you know. They, they just didn't know what to do. They, that one, hand, one, one, one sense they felt like if we say no, we're going to be mean. But if we say yes, they're just going to ask for more and more and more. And I just watched the scene. She went from table to table to table. And she came to us, and I could feel the awkwardness. I mean, I'd be lying to you. And I think all of us would feel that kind of sense of awkwardness. Like, what do, you know, what, what do we do here, you know? And so I tried to talk to her in, English, in, in Polish. And she didn't speak Polish. And she didn't speak any other language. And she spoke some kind of 
um, mixed language that was, because um, there's three different types of gypsies in Europe, and she spoke kind of a uh, Yugoslavian-Serbian version of it, and so we tried to talk to her, we gave her some food, and, and, and she wouldn't even talk to us, and she ran on, and I remember that sense of awkwardness and seeing people kind of shooing her away, and I think this is what happened with the disciples. This Canaanite woman comes in a very broken state, and when people come to us in their brokenness, that makes us feel awkward, doesn't it? And when somebody comes to you and says, you know what, I'm down on my luck, I don't have any money, I just blew it big time, I was drunk all weekend, and, and, we're, and we're talking, to, and, and my wife's left me. When we talk to people like that, there's a sense, there can be a sense if we're not careful of awkwardness, if there's pride in the heart. And we see the disciples here are at that place. Disciples are getting a message here from Jesus. They're getting Compassion 101. And the disciples come to Jesus and begged him. They're saying, please. They're saying this, send her away for she's crying out after, do something, do a miracle or just say no to her so she can go away because we feel so awkward in this situation. She's crying out after us. You know what the Greek word for this word crying is? It's a very unique word. It's, it's krazo. And it's a type of word that is made from the sound that something makes. For example, when we say the dog woofs or a pig oinks, it's that type of word. It's krazo or kra. It's what a raven makes when a raven is chasing something or someone for food. It's this kra sound, like kra, kra, kra. It's like this annoying. How many have heard of ravens and their annoying kras? Or their, their, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who just did that? <laughs> Oliver, good job, man. Reads the scripture and brings the illustrations. <laughs> exactly, that's what it is. And so this woman is crying out to these disciples repetitively, have mercy on me for my daughter is oppressed by them. And she says it over and over and over. And then finally, Jesus comes here in verse 24 and says, "Um, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Man, what a cold-hearted Jesus it looks like, doesn't it? First there's the demeaning silence, and now it's like, you know what? I'm sorry, you're excluded. You're not why I'm here, Jesus is saying, basically. You're not part of what's going on here. You're a Gentile, and I'm here for the Jews. That's what it sounds like. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Does he exclude the Gentiles? Was he excluding the Gentiles at that moment? Was there a plan for the Gentiles? Yes, there was. So what is Jesus saying here? I'll get to that in a second. She knew that. She knew that he wasn't excluding the Gentiles. She had heard earlier, we don't know where, but somehow the gospel through a testimony or just by women talking around the dinner table or in the kitchen, she had heard there is this Jesus of Nazareth who goes by the name of Son of David who heals Gentiles. And Jesus has healed Gentiles, but he's never healed Gentiles outside of the region of, Egypt, of, of Israel. And now he's in, he's in this Gentile region. And she had heard that. And she was in such a state of desperation, she's holding on to that gospel of grace anchor, and she's going out to meet this man that she's never met before. And then he says, you're not, you're not the reason why I'm here. And he is, really. Why do you think Jesus goes all the way out to this crazy part of the area? Because Jesus is a plan to meet that woman. Just like in John chapter 4, Jesus walks 24 miles by foot to, meet, to Samaria to meet a woman at the well. This is the amazing grace of God but I'm getting ahead of myself here. Verse 25, she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. 
Imagine that scene. There's a woman just in her dire needs. We could put ourselves there. I'm there. I, I, I'm there. I've been there. I'm there every day. Lord, help me. And she gets on her, she gets on her knees. And this is in the, when someone gets on their knees, I think in the King James it says worship, right? And she worshiped him. This, what this meant in the Persian culture was, or in the Middle Eastern culture was, that somebody gets on their knees. Not only are they on their knees doing this, but they bend their forehead all the way down to its tilts, touching the dirt. And there she is at his feet saying, Lord, help me. This is just so heartbreaking to see this. Lord, help me. That's all she says. But you know what the word she says, the word that she uses for help, or the Greek word here for help, is not just, Lord, would you help me? This is a dramatic word, and it means, it means to cry out so loud for help that everyone around that hears it drops what they're doing, panics, and they start running towards the person crying for help. It's like someone in the mall getting stabbed or something. It's like someone getting robbed in the parking lot in their car, and they're crying out for help. Somebody help me, please. And this is how she's screaming. And everybody's like, what is going on? And they just start running towards that cry of help. This is the kind of cry that she, she's on her face, and she cries out to Jesus, out to Jesus like this, crying for help. But in verse 26, he answered and said, it is not me to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Oh, my gosh. I mean, this is like, are you seeing here the tension and the drama that's being created? Are you, are you getting the idea that God here does not love this woman? Are we getting the idea here that Jesus just really has a big problem with this woman and just wants to kick her away? That's what it would be appear by sight. And then in verse 26, he says, it's not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it a dog. Jesus acknowledges her need, but calls her a dog. Does he have no compassion? That's the question I want to ask you here. Does Jesus have no compassion for this woman here? I think that she knows that he has compassion. She knew it. She knew that this is the son of David, that he has compassion because David's history of grace. David is an Old Testament grace believer. David was a man that kind of, was, kind of belonged in the New Testament, but was in the Old Testament and understood the covenant and the grace of God. And he was planted in the middle of the Old Testament to display the great grace of God. And this is what this woman's going after. And so this woman is crying out to him, and she calls, he calls her a dog. Verse 27, and this is where she sees the door of grace open. She sees the gospel open, and she says, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Again here, that's why it's so important to read and understand what the original is. If you don't, of course, I don't read Greek. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I have a lot of great books that help me out. The word that is used here, do you know what the word is used here? It means, it doesn't mean like these dogs that are wild outside that bite people and run around in packs. It's a dog, it's a, it's a house dog. It's a dog that's, that lives in the household. And it's a dog that is maybe even a puppy, a small dog, a cute dog. It's the kind of dog that kids have as their pets. And this is what Jesus called this woman. And when he, he didn't use another Greek word, which meant like the wild dogs that run around and annoy and bite people and give people rabies. He's saying... He said, no, it's not fit for me to give the bread that belongs to the children of Israel to give it to you, the Gentile. And that still can come across demeaning. She acknowledges, you know what? She says, yes. I think another translation, she says, true indeed. She's agreeing with him. 
It's amazing, isn't it? What humility here. This is the humility that I want to bring into the picture, the gospel humility. That she says, yes, she understands she's a sinner. She understands that her situation is something that she has caused, maybe. She's in a situation where she understands that she's, she doesn't deserve anything. And we, too, are Gentiles. And she is understanding that, that she, yes, you're right. She's, you know, and she's not walking into the picture with a sense of entitlement. Like, you know what, Jesus, you owe this to me. You just, I deserve this blessing. I've done all of these things right. I deserve this from She says, yes. She goes, yes, I agree. She understands that she's much worse than she actually thinks that she is. And she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their table. She doesn't dispute that this, but she sees this grace door open up. And she, she understands that, and she gets a picture in her mind. Maybe she can remember this in her own household, that when the dogs come to the table, and I have a small white dog, you guys probably know about it, that whenever we eat, this dog is right under our feet, looking at us with these dark eyes. And we look at the dog, and we, we don't give the dog food from the table because it just gives the dog a poor habit of, uh, you know, to bag at the table. But those eyes, man. <laughs> Some of you guys don't like your dogs. I don't know. Maybe it's okay. Um, but when, you, when I see that dog looking at me like that, something in me is like, Oh, man, it's going to give this dog a piece. You know, my wife's like, don't give him any food. <laughs> I do. <laughs> because of compassion. And this is what happened. This is what happened with the kid. You know, kids, little kids at the table. Kids don't do this. Teens don't do this. If, you're, if you've got a dog at home, don't feed your dog at the table because we're talking about this. But they just give. She understood that the kids have compassion and that she can win the compassion. She, and I, this is the main point here, what I want to say this morning, she is going after the compassion of Christ, the son of David. She's going after that. She knows that she doesn't deserve anything. She understands that she is wicked. She understands that, that, her, that her ancestors are the enemies of... And you know what? Doesn't that sound like Romans 5? We were without strength. We were sinners. And we were enemies of God. So we could all put ourselves in that position of that woman. And she's going after the compassion of Jesus Christ. She understands that by the law, she is disqualified. She understands by the law that she is separated from salvation of the Jews. But she understands there's something greater than the law, and that's the compassion of Jesus Christ. And I love this because then Jesus answers and he says in verse 28, Oh, woman. And get this, okay? Get this. Oh, woman. In the Greek there it says, oh, that word oh is a, is a, is a word that's used to do, describe what somebody says when they're in, they've been greatly, deeply moved by what's happened. Jesus here can't hide it any longer. He says, oh, woman. Ah, <laughs> oh, you did, you, you, you won my heart, or whatever, whatever we would say. You, oh, woman, I'm so deeply moved. And he goes, great is your faith, faith, mega faith in the Greek. Why is the, great, why is the faith great? <clears throat> well, he says, be it unto thee as thou wilt. How many times have we gotten, I don't want to get into the application here too quick, but how many times have we been here? <clears throat> when you're there, go after the compassion of Christ. Go after the compassion of Christ. Because need and helplessness attracts the compassion of Christ. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus looks and he sees the multitudes without a shepherd. And he's moved with compassion. Don't let the devil try to, to, to lie to you that God is not moved with compassion for your situation. 
well, I can understand that someone has fallen on hard times and they're in, they're in poverty and difficulty because it's not their fault. Of course, I'm going to help them out. But that person, they've been living years like that. They've been living years, no, and they've not listened to anybody with anything that they've said. We can point at family members and say, well, that family member has never listened to what I'm saying. And now look at the mess that they're in, and they deserve that, right? But here's that woman in the same place, goes to Jesus and gets the compassion. You know something? Even when we have messed it up and we knew better and we blew it and we've been told a thousand times and, and it's going to happen 10, 20, 50 years from now, we've been told so many times and we blow it, guess what happens? The compassion of Christ is moved for us. I'm going to close with this. Why was her faith great? Because she understood that Jesus was the son of David. And this is our target here today as a teenager if you are experiencing sometimes silence from God, sometimes you feel that God's pushing back when you pray. You ever feel that way? Pray, 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 pray. God's not answering my prayers. Actually, the opposite is happening. As soon as I started praying, the opposite started happening. Why is this happening? Let's not be so self-centered that we think it's about us. Jesus here, it has nothing to do with the Syrophoenician woman. Jesus is trying to teach his disciples something. He's trying to use this woman's faith to make a great point to the disciples. Remember the context, and I'm going to close. Jesus leaves Jerusalem and the area that he's in because he's just had it. People are just not receiving him. He's being rejected by people that should know better, that have had the law for centuries and centuries. And he says, I'm going to go into this place. There's a woman out there. She's going to meet me, and I'm going to, my, my disciples are going, to loot, are, going to meet, are going to learn something. Sometimes, sometimes a good teacher may aim to draw out a student's best insight by a deliberate challenge which does not necessarily represent the teacher's own view, but to amplify the point the teacher is trying to make to others that are observing. I'm going to read that again. A good teacher may sometimes aim to draw out a student's best insight by deliberately challenging or playing the devil's advocate which does not necessarily represent the teacher's own view, but to amplify the point the teacher's trying to make to the others that are observing. How many times does God do this in the Bible? Job, many, many times. So when you sense pushback on your prayers, when you sense that God's not answering you, when you feel offended by the plan of God or by the disciples of God, remember this, it's not about you. You know what you're going after. I'm going after the son of David. I'm going after his compassion I'm going after his love. I'm going after his grace, his mercy, because I know it's in there. I'm going to keep going at it. And every time we get pushed back, guess what happens? The disciples see, wow, that woman's determined. What does she know about Jesus that we don't know? That's the question. And this is the point that Jesus is making. So like this woman, when we have this threefold prayer, have mercy on me, O Lord, reign sovereign over everything. Please don't give me what I deserve, son of David. When we do that, she is casting herself, and we do the same. We cast ourselves on the infinite mercy and the infinite grace of God. I want us to believe this season, this Christmas season, that God really loves us. We need to grow in that. <clears throat> I want to challenge you here this morning. I want to challenge myself. Grow in grace, 2 Peter 3.15. Grow in it. We, some of us have been saved for 40 years. I don't, I don't know how long you've been saved. Maybe some of us a lot less. 
But some of us here, myself, I've been saved since I was nine. And I'm still learning the graciousness of God, the kindness of God, and the compassion of God. Because if we do not believe that, then we don't understand the full gospel. The gospel is not just for me to get a person through the door into heaven. That was great. I'm in heaven. That's not the gospel. The gospel is salvation and deliverance, salvation and victory, salvation and peace, salvation in the voice of God, salvation and victory, salvation and power, salvation in the kingdom of God moving forward in spring and in Houston, salvation in the kingdom of God moving in your family and your personal life. Let's be believers of the grace of God. Let's be believers in the son of David who is waiting. And oh, I wish I could tell you in the Hebrew what this means. He is waiting to be gracious. He's just waiting to be gracious. He's just waiting to be gracious to you. Let's, Let's humble ourselves and not get offended at the plan and say, okay, yes, God, I am worse than I can imagine. But you know something? You love me even more than I could even hope for. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for this great grace. Great grace, Lord. Acts chapter 4, it says, And great grace was upon them all. And the church multiplied, and the word of God grew. Great grace, Lord. We love it. That's why we're here this morning. We love your grace. Your grace transforms us. It changes us to be like you. Grace is something that cannot be comprehended in the flesh. And the flesh cannot coexist with the grace of God. We cannot say, but yes, God, I'm bringing this to the table. God says, I don't need any of your stuff at the table. I've got the tables filled with with what I got prepared for you. Maybe we're here this morning as a team or maybe as a young person. Maybe you didn't understand very much what I said today, but I want you to remember this one thing. Yes, we are much worse than we can imagine, and God knows that, but yet he decides to show us grace and mercy. And the only way that we can get out of bad habits, sins that we struggle with that nobody knows about, the only way that we can get out of depression, fear, anxiety, is just to look to Jesus and say, Son of David, have mercy on me. Because he does, he doesn't condemn us. He reaches into our soul and he changes us. Lord, we love you this morning. We just sent your presence here this morning, your victorious presence, your gracious presence. Maybe there's someone here that's like the Canaanite woman that feels like that they are, that God has been silent, that I don't belong here, and that in some way this is not for me. I just want to tell you, Jesus hears, he knows, he loves. He's just using you as a testimony to other people to show people what it means to walk by faith in the grace of God. Lord, every one of us in this room are in a place of faith walk, trusting you. All of us are walking on our own Galilee, seas of Galilee in some way or another. But we want to keep our eyes on you as we sang earlier. Lord, that you we want to be found faithful because it's, we are kept by the power of God. The Bible says we are kept by the power of God. Thank you, Jesus. We are kept. If you're here this morning and you've never made a decision for Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do that today. Just say, Jesus of Nazareth, Son of David, come into my life. Save me. Make me a brand new creature. If you're here this morning and you just need special prayer, 
just ask you to stand up. Just stand up to your feet if you want special prayer. Any of us, just stand up. If you're a young person, older person, just stand up and we'll pray for you. Lord, we pray for Amina, God, for total healing, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We pray for those suffering from headaches, Lord. The flu season, Lord. We can say the flu is, oh, that happens every year. But, Lord, we, we know that there's nothing natural in this world. And so we don't want to just be sick because it's the natural thing to do. We want to be healed, God. Healed in Jesus' name. We thank you for this church, Lord. Bless our families. Bless our kids. Bless our jobs. We thank you for our employment. Bless those that are on the road today. Bless those that are on their way back. In Jesus' precious name we pray these things. Amen.